Welcome into the first ever episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, a 24-7 sports podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert, joined by Tony Morrell, a.k.a. the GCI. You all know him if you're a member of the thebigspur.com, which most of you probably are. And, of course, you know me returning to the Gamecock podcast area uh, with an all-new podcast. Very excited uh, about this and uh, really hope that it'll be something that uh, gives you guys another option out there. Uh, those of you that uh, love listening to podcasts, and I know there are many of you. Uh, Tony, uh, last uh, Saturday, the Gamecocks, you know, against Alabama. Uh, to me, I think this game had a lot of positives uh, along with you know, some negatives, which uh, were amplified by some missed opportunities. But uh, in general, just kind of your take of how the Gamecocks played and, you know, came out of that game. I, I know the score ended up being ugly, but uh, unlike maybe the Georgia game last year, I, I saw more positives uh, than some other games where the Gamecocks have, have come up short like that. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I thought the, the players were ready to play. Uh, which you know has been an issue for them in some of their bigger home games under the the Will Muschamp era. Uh, they've you know had a, a tendency to get off to slow starts in games like these and and get themselves in a hole right off the bat. And uh, even though they did go down early, they they you know fought back and and you know looked like they were much more ready to to you know play a team like Alabama from from the first kickoff. Uh, I thought the coaches had a good game plan and I thought they played to win. Um, you know, I don't know that, that the fans can expect the, the coaching staff to take the kind of gambles they did in that game over and over uh, in the future. Uh, but I like that they played to win and, you know, the, the players didn't look like the, the stage was too big for them. They didn't look like they were overwhelmed by Alabama's athleticism. Uh, they stacked up pretty well with, you know, one of the top two teams in the country. And, and I thought there were, were certainly a lot of positives, but obviously they they're only positives if they build off of them and play better going forward starting this week. You know, it, it can't be something that they leave behind uh, in that game. They have to, to, to build on it and learn from it and and uh, start getting some wins under their belt. Yeah, I think consistency is a big thing and building off of it. Um, you know, just kind of specifically, one thing that, that surprised me in the football game, um, you know, the, the run game in general on both sides of the ball. Now, I'm with you, and and I I saw you make this comment earlier, and I've made it as well uh, when people have asked me about the game. I would like to say South Carolina's run defense is fixed, and they held Alabama to 76 yards. Wow, you know, but uh, I don't know that Bama needed to run the ball uh, to move it in in the football game. And I don't know that Bama's necessarily built that way this year. I, I do think they have good backs and a good offensive line, but when you have those receivers and you have Tua, uh, and Tua's not taking gambles down the field like he was this year. I mean, that's just – I mean, that's a lethal combination, especially with the way Carolina's played defense. But on offense, you know, Tony, I, I thought South Carolina's offensive line, you know, now that they've kind of retooled it and they've got some more beef and athleticism on the interior uh, and the way Rico Dowdle and, and in some cases Tavian Feaster ran the football um, – you know, I thought that was like a, a big thing you could circle offensively to say, hey, you know, one of these issues they had against North Carolina, you know, in, in the opening game of the season, it may be on its way to getting fixed. And, and I think it's very positive moving forward. Yeah, I would agree with both of those things. You know, it was strange watching an Alabama offense, 
you know, essentially throw the ball almost every down. And a lot of those were RPOs where, you know, Tua was making the decision on, on whether to run a throw based on what he was seeing from South Carolina's defense. And they obviously felt like they had uh, some matchups in their favor uh, at receiver and and took advantage of it. But I don't think there's any question that's the strength of, of this Alabama offense is at quarterback and receiver. Uh, I don't think they have the great running backs this year, even though, you know, Harris made a, a great individual play on, on a pass, but I don't think they have, you know, a Derrick Henry or a Mark Ingram or, or some of the, the big time backs that they've had in recent years. Um, and I don't think their offensive line is quite as good in run blocking as, as your typical Alabama offensive line is. As far as South Carolina goes, you know, Rico Dowdle is, is a guy that has, has been a pleasant surprise to me, and we may talk about that here in a future segment, but uh, his ability to stay healthy this year has been huge for him. And it, his, his injuries, even though none of them have been overly serious, have, have slowed him down over the course of his career and uh, taken away his acceleration and his ability to make people miss and to run through contact. Um, but he looks as healthy as he has uh, really since he's been at South Carolina and is taking advantage of the block and he's getting from that retooled offensive line. Uh, I agree with you that the changes that Eric Wolford made, getting Javon Gwynn in at right guard and, and Jordan Rhodes at left guard, uh, w- combined with Donnell Stanley at center, gives them you know three guys on the interior of the line, all in the 320-plus the range uh, with a lot of strength, a lot of power. Uh, and then you've got a guy like you know Sidarius Hutcherson at left tackle and Dylan Wanham at, at right tackle. So uh, I think this line has a lot of potential and should only get better and better as the year goes on, as Gwynn and Rhodes get more experience. Uh, but it, 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 they did a really good job of, of blocking against a, a really tough front seven and giving Dowdle and Feaster the room they needed. And and um, you know it should be a, a positive for them going forward because nothing's going to take pressure off of Ryan Helinski better than than having a, a consistent running game. Uh, to keep the defense off balance. Def- definitely. And I, and I think the interior, Tony, you know, you look back and, you know, me and you have been around a while, and you look back at the Spurrier era, and I remember some of those John Hunt offensive lines uh, back in the day. It, it always seemed like they would struggle, you know, to run it, to even protect the passers, to really get much off on offense at all until about midseason when they tinker and tinker and, and – you know, sometimes it was even a walk-on guy. Like, I remember Thomas Coleman and uh, even later on Garrett Chisholm. And I don't think that was Hunt. I think that was Elliot. But, you know, it seemed like they would eventually find the right combination on the interior, and then things would really start clicking. Um, I-, I think that's key, and I-, I think that's something that was really bad against North Carolina. I think North Carolina pushed the pocket on them and stuff. But, you know, going back to, to the recruitment, of Joe Von Gwynn and, and Jordan Rhodes. I, I know I really liked Gwynn. I, I saw him at a Charlotte Nike camp and, you know, thought the guy battled. I, I thought he could play defensive tackle, to be honest with you. Um, and some other folks did too. Uh, you know, and then Rhodes was a guy that, you know, th- this guy only played one year of high school football yep. down there at Creekside. You know, what were your impressions of those guys as recruits? I, I, looking back, I, I think now – you know, the the getting roads late could end up being more significant than we thought. I think we all felt Gwen was significant. Uh, but considering he was injured last year, you know, I, I think his development is actually, you know, ahead of schedule when you consider everything. Yeah, Gwen as a as a recruit reminded me a lot of AJ Can, uh former South Carolina offensive lineman who's, you know, had a nice career with the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Um, a lot of similarities in terms of, of body type, athleticism, strength. Gwen may have even been a little stronger in high school than, than Can was. Um, but he's. I would agree with you that when you, you consider the fact that he missed – um, you know, essentially all of last season and didn't get those practice reps, um, missed time in the weight room because of his injury. Uh, for him to, to be playing as well as he is right now is a, is a testament to, to him and to Eric Wolford and the job he's done getting him ready. Um, you know, Rhodes is, like you said, is a guy who only played one year of high school football. He'd played basketball primarily um, before making the switch to football and, and, Ended up, uh, you know, accumulating a number of offers late in the process, and, and South Carolina did a good job of identifying him and and getting in the mix early, and it paid off for him. And and you know, when you sign a guy like that with who, who lacks experience, he's going to need some time to develop. Uh, he's had the physical tools; he just needed to catch up mentally, and it seems to have gotten to that point. He did have some struggles here and there against Alabama, but that, of course, isn't a surprise against you know, the the talent they have in their front seven. But he should only get better and better as this year goes on, as he gets more experience and gains more confidence. And and uh, I think this this line has a, a chance to to be really good in the second half of the season. Yeah, Alabama, you know, I, I, and I don't know they they don't have the the Terrence Cody type guy or the, uh, of course, Quentin Williams from last year was a terror. But yeah, that DJ Dale kid they have the fr- true freshman, he's going to be really good. I know a friend of ours, Tim Watts from BamaOnline.com, you know, a guy we we respect and, uh, you know, in terms of a talent evaluation, thought he was the sleeper of their class. Uh, I think he's an in-state kid, if I'm not mistaken. And they still have guys like Raekwon Davis, and you still have uh, Anfordy Jennings coming off the edge, and, and they still present a lot of challenges. So, you know, I, 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 I don't know. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're probably going to see fronts that are – similar to that this year if you're the Gamecocks I don't know if you'll see better you know I I think looking down the road you know the offensive line is probably I mean they're going to be challenged every week but you know if I look if I look ahead you know you're kind of concerned a little bit about what Florida likes to do uh blitz wise uh I think every team is (laughs) if you can figure that out you can score a lot of points against Florida but uh you know and, and that type of thing but uh all in all, very good. And you mentioned Helensky uh, in terms of, of his performance. I, I thought he was, you know, cool as a cucumber. I mean, sure, he had some a couple of mistakes here and there, as Will Muschamp said. Uh, but but all in all, a really good day. And, and he, he just kept competing, you know, didn't get down. Uh, you didn't kind of see stretches uh, with him where, you know, things kind of, you know, went in the tank for a while for an extended period of time. Um you know, very, very impressed with, with him in terms of the level of opponent and, and the magnitude of the game and the stage he was on. And, you know, Tony, I, I think it's a big deal, um, you know, moving forward uh, with Ryan Helensky in terms of how he played against Bama. Yeah, no question. You know, he went from one end of the spectrum to the other in one week. When you look at the, the level of competition he faced against Charleston Southern in his first career start to, to turn around and, and play Alabama in his next um, and, and to hold up the way he did was extremely impressive. Like you said, the stage didn't seem too big for him. He was able to, to make some tough throws under duress and hang in there in the pocket. Uh, he never looked tentative or scared or, you know, just like he was overwhelmed by what Alabama was doing defensively. And you know Nick Saban and, and, and those guys on the defensive side of the ball are always trying to disguise their coverages and, and confuse the quarterback. And uh, he never really, you know, seemed to, to, to look that way. 
he was making quick decisions. He was throwing the ball accurately. And and, and the, the thing that, that really has changed in South Carolina's offense since Zelensky took over is the timing of everything. He, he throws the ball accurately. He gets it out quickly. And he, he puts the receivers in a position where they can make – uh, pick up yards after the catch and make plays with the ball in their hands. And, and I think, you know, if he can continue to do that and the running game can play or produce the way it did, um, you know, this offense has a, a chance to to do a lot of good things the rest of the season. And I think they're going to need it uh, this weekend against Missouri. They're probably going to need to score some points. This is another big test for Helensky, obviously his first road game. Uh, but I've seen nothing from him so far that indicates, you know, he's going to, you know, be overwhelmed or intimidated by a road environment. I, I think he's he just has that it factor and and you know plays with a uh, a very calm presence and and just stays very poised and and that should translate well on the road. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you know. Just a side note on that, I, I'm sure Missouri will have a fired up crowd. It's their SEC opener, it's their home opener. I'm sure they're sick of losing to the Gamecocks, but it, it's not like the like Tiger Stadium. Not like he's going to Baton Rouge or Auburn or even Georgia or Clemson, someplace like that. So uh, I, I think that's actually worked to his advantage, uh, even though he did have Bama right away. I mean, you get a Charleston Southern to kind of get your feet wet, then you get a stiff test. And, uh, you know, as far as the outcome of those two games, I think we all could predict those. Now, you know, this is when the season's going to be determined. So that's, uh, that's kind of my uh, – my take on that. But, yeah, all in all, the Bama game, to me, uh, had some positives. I, I think the bottom line, and then we'll wrap up talking about that, the bottom line, Tony, is if you're going to pull an upset, you can't have a – and, look, I know the penalty was ticky-tack, folks. I mean, it, it was it was, it was was one where you could have swallowed the whistle. But, and I'm surprised how fast Parker White is, by the way. Um, you can't have that on the fake field goal. You can't not get a touchdown there before the half um, and come away with no points. You know, you do those two things, Tony, it's 24-24, and then you, you need a touchdown at the beginning of the second. South Carolina goes up 31-24 in the third quarter. Alabama still very likely wins the game because they, they just weren't stopping Tua, and he's a special player and would make plays, in my opinion. But that's a you know, that puts you at least in position. Uh, I just think the lesson there is the bottom line is the Gamecocks had their opportunities to make it a fourth quarter game and just simply did not, it just didn't work out. And that happens sometimes. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and, and there were a couple of cut gut check possessions for the defense where they just didn't produce. Uh, I think the, the most glaring example of that was, was Alabama's first possession of the second half after South Carolina had kicked the field goal um, that was a, a situation where the defense had to show they'd made some halftime adjustments, uh, get off the field. They had them in third and five, and hmm. you know they give up the the easy first down and then the big play to follow. So, um, you know those are the kind of possessions where, you know, going back to the Spurrier era, the Ellis Johnson era, the defense uh, rose to those occasions. And Ellis Johnson's defenses were almost always better in the second half. And, and Will Muschamp and Terrarius Robinson's defenses were better in the second half, his first two seasons at South Carolina. But if you go back to last year and so far this year, the defense has not looked better in the second half. And, and I don't know what's happened to those halftime adjustments, if they're just not working as well as they did previously. But that's something this coaching staff and the, and the defensive side has to figure out going forward because 
uh, it's hard to to not make good adjustments at the half against good teams and and um, and, and get the wins in close games in the second half. Yeah, the the only time last year I can even remember it happening. Um, yeah, I think the Tennessee game they probably played a little better. I think they played a little better in the third quarter against Missouri. I'm trying to, yeah, of course Kentucky, but that was a different type of game. The the fourth quarter against Ole Miss down the stretch last year, for some reason the defense played outstanding, and that was a game they gave up 600 yards. So I, I don't know if maybe Ole Miss was tired on offense or what, but. Uh, yeah, you're right. And but you think about the Georgia game, you think about the Clemson game, you know, last last season. And I know they were undermanned at Clemson and chances are they weren't going to stop them a whole lot anyway, but there just seemed to be no adjustments made and and I agree. That's something that that was a trademark at South Carolina when the defense was has been good throughout the years especially under Ellis Johnson. Um, and uh and previously it's been that way too. So I I'm not really understanding that all right putting the alabama game to bed in recruiting this week tony gamecock's got a commitment um and this is a guy that it's been a little iffy as to whether or not he was a take uh a guy that on film i like i i think he's kind of like shaq Rowland, to be honest and and i'm not talking about the disappointing shaq Rowland when shaq Rowland was actually playing well um some people say pharaoh cooper rico powers four-star receiver uh, out of Atlanta, Hapeville Charter. Uh, your impressions of him and sort of how he fits with the other two receivers uh, uh, for the Gamecocks. Uh, you know, a good four-star pickup right there after um, after that game. Yeah, I agree with the the comparison to Roland, and I can also see why some would say Farrah Cooper, even though he's he's bigger than Cooper. But, you know, he's a, a guy that, that is 6'2", 185, 190, can run, has really good body control, good hands, uh, but is also physical enough to, you know, take the direct snap or take a, you, know, you get the ball in a sweep or different ways you can get the ball in his hands and he can still produce for you. Um, so I, I think he's going to be a really good fit in South Carolina's offense and is a guy who's going to have a chance to, to work his way into the rotation early in his career. Uh, like you said, the, the key with him is, is off the field. Uh, he ran into some issues at his previous school and was dismissed and um, you know, thus far at Hapeville has done a good job and, uh, Brian McClendon and Will Muschamp and those guys were confident enough in, in the feedback they were getting from his coaches and, and from people close to him that he was on the right track and, uh, they wanted to, to go ahead and, and, and add a third receiver to this class. So, uh, I like the group South Carolina has committed. Um, you know, I do think receiver is a position where they still have to get faster, and, and, and have more speed on the field at that position. I think that's something that's, that's hurting them to some degree right now. You know, Shai Smith is really the only guy that, that is going to scare a defense with his speed. Uh, you know, Brian Edwards has a knack for getting open, although he didn't really do that against North Carolina very well. But, he, you know, he's, he's not a speed guy. You know, Ortre Smith's not a speed guy. Josh Fan has not been as fast as, as people thought he would be. So, uh, that's been one of the puzzling things about wide receiver recruiting that they just have not recruited enough speed, in my opinion. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this group meshes with the current receivers and and if they can get faster there. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. They have to get faster there, and, and I, I think there's a, a lot of different solutions. I mean, Xavier Leggett, allegedly, according to what people are saying, uh, is very fast and uh, probably faster than he timed, or I don't even think he timed coming out of high school. Um, I think Jay Orich is a fast guy, different kind of guy, you know, at, at six four, six five. They have to bring them along. Um, and, and I, you know, 
Josh Van is kind of puzzling to me in, in some ways because he was faster in high school. I mean, he got he had times and stuff like that. He, he still just isn't playing that fast. I think he's better than he was last year by a mile. But, I, I you know, you still just don't see that explosiveness that you want to see. And, and, and the only guy that really does that is, is Shy. Um, and, uh, you know, Rico Powers, maybe he's that guy. Maybe, you know, Daquan Stewart's faster than we think. Um, but sure – you know, I think there's always a place uh, for a speedy receiver, no matter how big he is. And and I, and I look back at Georgia, kind of during the Mark Rick years, and and how much better they were when when they maybe had a guy uh, that was a little smaller but a little faster, because they recruited a lot of guys that were like six two, two hundred, uh, something like that, that were that ended up being too big and slow. Um, a lot of those years, and, and you know, you, you had to kind of – it was kind of a grab bag. You know, you had guys like Chris Connolly who just were kind of like Brian Edwards that came on and stuff like that. And, you know, I, and I'm not saying this because Brian McClendon was at Georgia during that period. I'm just saying I've seen wide receivers, you know, teams recruit at a high level at wide receiver, but when you don't pay attention to speed, you know, you can get uh, you can get in trouble pretty fast. So, you know, here's hoping some of these guys – uh, or a little faster uh, than maybe we think, or, or they find some guys that are legitimately fast. Lynette Whitehead, Tony, uh, here's a guy on film that I, I'm really high on out of Athens, Georgia. Over the years, the Gamecocks, every now and then, they'll get great players out of Athens. Uh, I think uh, Dante Robinson was probably the, the most recent big-timer, and that was a long time ago. Doesn't look like Georgia's going on him. He visited this past weekend. Still says Tennessee's his leader. Ah, you know, they've got problems up there. And I know that you know, recruiting's about relationships and all of that, but you know, you have to think South Carolina's probably inching closer to the volunteers and, you know, if they kind of went all in on him and, and depending on um, you know, what exactly he wants to do, you have to think the Gamecocks are at least getting themselves in good position. Uh, with this guy, who I think's a, I think he has a chance to be a really big time player, especially if he's a linebacker in college. Yeah, you know he's a guy who's expected to return to South Carolina in December for an official visit. This past weekend was an unofficial visit, and I think they gained some ground. You know, I've talked to a couple of different sources close to his recruitment, and and you know they've said good things, but he was pretty enamored with Tennessee coming into this visit to South Carolina, and I think he's a little bit less enamored coming off of it, but. If he was picking his school today, I think it would still be the Vols. Uh, but I, I think a lot is going to depend on how hard South Carolina pursues him. You know, they're, they're down to, to four spots remaining in this class with Powers commitment, and they still need two defensive end buck type players in this class. Still need another running back. Still could potentially need another defensive back or linebacker. I think it's really going to come down to those two positions on defense if they do get two buck defensive end types. So. They're, they're running out of spots. Now, of course, there also is the possibility of some decommitments. History says there probably will be a couple before all is said and done, and that could, could change the equation some. But I think if South Carolina goes after Whitehead with you know 100% and can get him back on campus maybe for another game prior to his official visit in December, they have a chance to really make things interesting, especially if Tennessee continues to struggle on the field and, and, and things go south up there. So I don't think it's over by any stretch, but – I think if he was signing a letter of intent today, it would be with Tennessee. Yeah, I'm with you there, spot on. All right, so 
Jordan Birch, Reggie Grimes. You mentioned defensive ends, Bucks. Um, Gamecocks probably are in the game with Birch. Probably are not sitting as pretty as they once were. Still look really good for Grimes. You know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what to make of it. I know everybody's going to be kind of focused on Birch because of his ranking. I think Grimes has a lot of upside, but it's a guy that's a year away. So, so let's say they don't get but one of those guys, or uh, they don't get either, and they need to sign two, you know, who else is out there? I mean, are they going to try to flip somebody? I mean, what – you know, that that's kind of something that uh, I can't really wrap my head around. I'm sure somebody will emerge, but, um, you know, if not those guys, uh, who? Yeah, and I, I think they're going to land Grimes. I think unless Alabama changes – their stance with him and he becomes a definite take and a priority for them. I think South Carolina is in really good shape with Grimes. He's another player who was in town over the weekend and had a great visit. His family was with him. The coaches, you know, felt like things couldn't have gone any better with him. And, and I think much like with, with Whitehead, I think if he was signing a letter of intent today, it would be with South Carolina. And I think they're in a, a really strong position with him. Um, you know, Jordan Birch, I, I think has outgrown the buck position. Even if they, if South Carolina is to land him, I just don't think he's going to play Buck. He's already up to 275, uh, and is only getting bigger. And I'm just not sure Buck is in his future, uh, whether it's at South Carolina or if he ends up at Clemson or Georgia. They all, you know, there's some similarities in terms of defensive schemes with all three of those teams. But I think he's going to end up playing with his hand on the ground. Um, you know, Desmond Evans is still out there as an uncommitted player, a five-star out of the state of North Carolina that I think South Carolina is number two on. But I think North Carolina is the, the clear leader on him. And if they continue to play well and, and end up having a, a better-than-expected season, I think they're going to be tough to beat for Evans. Um, you know, but you've seen South Carolina offer some newer guys here recently, both in the 2020 and 2021 class. They seem to be offering more, um, you know, longer, leaner designated pass rusher type guys and I think they need more of those um it's been one of the most puzzling aspects of of the Will Muschamp era so far is is you they just don't seem to sign guys that are explosive pass rushers and um if you go back to the Ellis Johnson era at South Carolina that's what they built their defense with they were going to get after the pass or they were going to make plays in the in the backfield and, and disrupt what the offense wanted to do and you know, I feel like I've been talking about a lack of pass rush at South Carolina for about nine years straight now, <laughs> um, going back to the Lorenzo Ward era. And and I don't think it's a coincidence that over that stretch, South Carolina's defense has not been good enough because they, they have not been able to get after the passer. Now, you have to be able to stop the run, too. You have to play fundamentally sound in the secondary. You have to tackle well. There's obviously a lot of aspects to play and well defensively. Um, but creating – third and long and being able to get after the passer is uh is a heck of a, a recipe for success on that side of the ball and um and, and i'd sure like to see south carolina get back to to being able to do that defensively yeah and and, and that, that's a big topic here you know as, as far as the scheme goes because i look back on most chance recruiting at florida and he did, a, he did a great job on the defensive line down there but really outside of like alec McAllister, who was you know, a 6'6", 220-pound guy that got out of North Carolina. Most of their guys were not, you know, they were kind of built like the guys they recruit now, body type-wise. Um, and I don't know that body type matters so much when you got Dante Fowler and Jonathan Bullard and guys like that. 
But but one thing about this defensive scheme, and and we're going to kind of dig into this here, and, and you know, fo- folks have to know, th- there are little differences between what Muschamp does and what Saban does and what Kirby Smart does and what Jeremy Pruitt does. All you know, all these guys from this coaching tree, but fundamentally, it's the same thing. And the thing, the, the one criticism you hear a lot from Bama people even on Saban's defense, and of course he's got elite talent all over the field, um, is that they, they don't they don't rush the passer as well as they, they think they should. Um, you know, Christian Miller getting hurt last year, I think he got hurt against Oklahoma, didn't play against Clemson, that hurt them in that football game because he was really one of their only guys that had sizzle off the edge. Um, and, and you look at South Carolina and sort of where they recruit and who they recruit, and the access to talent. I mean, you do have a lot of good defensive linemen, a lot of good pass rushers um, in their footprint that they have access to every year that, that may not be, you know, 6'4", 260, you know, coming off the edge. Um, and, and and so, you know, that transition is kind of a broader question. And I've talked to some people, you know, some other coaches that at the beginning – you know, felt like it was probably a long shot that, that they could install everything they wanted to install, install defensively. Um, and, and, you know, that's the bigger question as, as to, you know, you're not going to ask Will Muschamp to change up his defense, but maybe emphasize more parts of it, more of the four-down look or, or something like that based on the personnel they have. Because, you know, not only, Tony, are they they sort of struggling to get those past those, you know, true pass rushers, but safety's a very important part of this defense, too, on the back end. And, boy, you know, that position's kind of been a dumpster fire for a long time now. Yeah, and it's it's a hard one to explain because, um, you know, Will Muschamp has such a tradition of producing safeties uh, that are who are not only productive at the college level but go on to be really good NFL players. And he's got a, a pedigree to, to sell and – um, it, it's his position, and for whatever reason, he has not been able to land the right players, and has also not been able to develop the players well enough at safety. And you know, it's been now four straight seasons of of bad safety play. And I think if you asked most defensive coaches, they would tell you that safety should be the easiest position to recruit. Um, and. and for whatever reason, it, it just continues to be an issue, and it was a glaringly bad against Alabama. They had issues against North Carolina there as well, and um, uh, until they get that fixed, it's going to be hard for the secondary to to play the way Travaris Robinson wants it to play. So um, it, it's and then you know going back to the the, the scheme itself, I've you know I, I've it's something I've mentioned on the site. At times, I, I've tried not to beat a dead horse with it, but I, I think South Carolina had their most success defensively in the SEC running a 4-2-5, and I think that's a, a scheme that is is something that, that you can recruit to in this area, and I think it's a scheme that, that matches up well with today's college offenses and gives you a lot of flexibility um, with, with how you line up in the secondary and what you do at linebacker, and um, they just, you know, for whatever reason – that that's not what Will Muschamp wants to do. He wants to to have this three man front and have the buck and and give different looks. But they don't really seem to be confusing anybody defensively with with what they're doing pre snap and and you know shifting guys around. So um, I, I think it, it, if they continue to struggle defensively, he's going to have to take a look at what they're doing scheme wise 
and and try to to um, to see what needs to change there. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the four two five. You've got defensive linemen. Um, you know, e- even even when you look at the fact that you know on average the state of South Carolina and, and if you include North Carolina, the number goes up almost every year. You know, these two states are sending three or four guys to the junior college ranks who are good, who just don't have grades, who play defensive line. Um, you have an advantage getting those guys back because Clemson can't take JUCOs. Um, you know, so there's one aspect of it. There's also a bunch of talent, you know, at that position in the Carolinas every year. You you, you can go to Florida and get guys, Georgia and get guys, Tennessee and get guys. Um and you're right, you know, and I think there's all kinds of ways you can run a four-man front, too. You don't have to have Clowney and Devin Taylor at 6'6", coming off the edge all the time. Um, you know, Clemson you know, had Kevin Dodd, who was 280 pounds, and Shaq Lawson was 270. And, you know, they put Christian Wilkins out there, and they're, they're a four-man front. Uh, most of the time, I know they're kind of mixing it up this year, but uh, you know Xavier Thomas is 280 pounds as a defensive end. So, you know Eric Eric uh, Eric Norwood was six feet tall, you know 260. He was a defensive end in a four three and was really really good. So, you know I, I I think you're right, and I think on the back end too, you can find guys that can play that spur position much 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 easier tony than you can find a buck the buck is almost like a unicorn on the recruiting trail i mean you, you know you're talking about dante fowler you know who's the best guy that's ever done it at the buck and um you know dante fowler was a five star guy that had offers from everybody in the country that they just happened to out recruit florida state on and get you you're not going to get dante fowler every year and so, you know, I've got, you know, so, so your choices are either, you know, like a DJ Wanham, who's a 4-3 edge guy, fundamentally, or, or like a, a Danny Fennell, who's a converted linebacker. And, and I don't think either one of those things is ideal uh, on defense, you know, when, when that's kind of your star position. So, you know, but, but I do think you can find guys that are spurs. Uh, R.J. Roderick, for example, uh Taylor made to be a spur, uh, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think Jalen Dickerson could be a good spur when he's healthy. Uh, you know, even some guys that play corner. You know, J.C. Horn, if he you know was a step slower and wasn't so good in coverage, he could be a guy that was a spur. You know, I, I think there's always guys like that, those tweeners you can find uh, that can really shine at that position. And if you look at the Ellis Johnson era and the spur spot, you know, Darian Stewart, Antonio Allen, Devontae Holloman, all those guys went to the NFL and played. Some of them are still playing. I think Stewart's still playing. But, um, you know, and, and, and Stewart and Allen were, were not top-level recruits. They were guys they found, and, and they were just good at it. So uh, I'm with you there. I, I think that's kind of the – some schools have certain things that in their DNA that they need to always kind of do. And um, I, I'm with you there on that. And I, I – I thought that this year we may see it because of the the depth on the defensive line that this scheme may work a little bit better, but I just I, I just don't see it. So I'm 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 coming over to the four two five uh, end of things. All right, so we'll do a trio here where we both give kind of three surprises. Um, and, and I thought since we're talking about the offense and the offense has actually done pretty well the last two games, you know, um, I've got three guys. Uh, that are the biggest surprises to me, and, and I think you've got three, two, and, you know, maybe they're the same. I, I don't know, but uh, I'm going to give you mine. 
Um, Rico Dowdle, who we mentioned, uh, I just think he's running like like a lot of times you have good Rico, bad Rico, or you have had the last two years, and, and maybe that's a function of injury. I think he's running like Rico plus. I think, you know, those games when he was a freshman like Tennessee and Missouri where you were like, man, he's going to be a big time back. I think he's running like that all the time. I thought he ran pretty well against North Carolina, to be honest with you. He he and Feaster were two of the, the bright spots on that side of the ball. Um, so Rico would be one. Kyle Markway, Tony, I, I, you know, I was told by a source back in February that, that they think Kyle Markway has an NFL future. And, you know, I, I reported it because that's what I do. But, you know, for a guy that's been hurt as much as he has and, and we hadn't seen him all that much, you know, I, there's always some skepticism. But, boy, I mean, I think the first three games he's played like an NFL player. Uh, and then, of course, Ryan Helensky and his poise uh, as a as a true freshman. But, um, you know, that, that Markway thing, and I think now with Nick Muse coming on as well, they're, they're sitting good at tight end, and it looked like they wouldn't be. Um, and so I think that's a positive. But those are my three surprises on offense so far this year. Yeah, I think those are three good choices. I would agree with you on Dowdle. You know, he's he's been consistent. He's running um, angry, and he's running through tackles. He can make guys miss as well. Um, so he you know, he also catches the ball well out of the backfield, or, or so far as catching it better. So uh, I think he's been one of the most improved players when you go back to, to last year and how he performed. And, and, of course, a lot of it had to do with injury. Um, but he didn't always look like he was running as hard as he is now. So uh, I think he's he's been a, a really nice surprise. And I think, you know, we, we heard in fall practice that Tavian Feaster's arrival had lit Dowdle's fire a little bit. And, and I think that's playing out in game situations. And you're seeing that, that Feaster's presence uh, has been a good thing for Dowdle. Um, you know, Markway, uh, I would agree, given his injury history, you just you didn't know if he was a guy they were ever going to be able to depend on long term. Um, and, and he's, you know, had a good, good off season and has, has, uh, I think performed well as a, as a catcher and as a blocker. And, and like you said, with Nick Muse coming on, uh, I think he was a really good take for them. I think Bobby Bentley and Matt Lindsay deserve a lot of credit on that one. They found him as soon as he entered the transfer portal, had him into camp, worked him out. And, and, um, and I think he's going to end up making some big plays over the course of his career at South Carolina and has a chance to play in the NFL as well. And then, you know, Ryan Helensky to, for him to, to perform the way he has through two games when he was, you know, not expected to be starting football games at this point in his career for him to handle it the way he has is very impressive. And, uh, I think that South Carolina has, has shown that those who have watched them play that they have a, a really good piece to build around at quarterback and and now the coaches have to go out there and get him the weapons he needs to to maximize his talents. Sure, I mean I, I think that that's the key too. You know, whether that's guys on campus they already have or guys coming in, you know, you've got to build around him. You know, in Helinski, uh, one thing that that stood out to me, Tony, and is you know he's not really a statue in the pocket. He's a guy that you got to protect. You know, he, he's not he's not going to be Dakari and Joyner running around out back there. And I, I don't know that he's at the point where he's as elusive as Jake Bentley, but I do think he feels pressure well, and I do think he's athletic enough to not just be a sitting duck. Um, but, but when you look at it, you know, what are you going to do when you have Ryan Helensky? You're going to be throwing the football. And, you know, they have to surround him with a supporting cast, I think, to maximize him 
in terms of wins and losses and, and all those things that, you know, people like to judge quarterbacks on uh, here in the coming years. So I, I think that's good. Nick Muse, I just wanted to point out the folks out there who are mad at JT eBay uh, and the JT eBay take because he came from Rice. Nick Muse came from William and Mary. <laughs> uh, so Nick Muse belongs. Uh, JT eBay, you know, he hadn't really played well since he's been here, but I want to remind everybody there's guys in the NFL from places like Rice and William and Mary and all that. And with the transfer portal like it is these days, you're going to see guys like that. You're going to see guys coming from bigger programs, smaller programs, equal programs, whatever. Uh, just judge the player for the player. But I um, uh, just wanted to point that out. You know, we, I don't think. Rice is all that good, but I, I don't think William and Mary's very good uh, either in terms of that. All right, so big picture. These next two games, Tony, are huge. <laughs> and, and it seems like we say that every year. Um, and I know I say that. I know I know we get to a point every year where I'm like, all right, next two, they got to win. And I think last year it was Tennessee and Ole Miss after the, the losses to Kentucky and A&M. Um, but that's more in the scope of just that year. I think these next two games are, are important, not only for the year, but for the trajectory of the program. Um, you know, I'm not saying if they drop one, they can't dig out of a hole with a, a massive turnaround. Uh, I do think this is a good football team. But, man, oh, man, you know, you, you dropped a one and four, even two and three, and you're going into Georgia, Florida, Tennessee in October – and then you still have A&M and Clemson in November and even App State, you know. I, I this is this is like I don't want to say do or die time, but it's it's almost do or die time in terms of just you know, I guess the overall uh, atmosphere around a program. South Carolina's lost five straight games to power five opponents. I mean, three of them were Bama, Clemson, and at Florida, but you got you throw two ACC coastal teams in there. And uh, that streak looks looks kind of ugly right now, and it, it needs to end in the near future. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I think these two are must-win games um, for not just South Carolina, but for Will Muschamp and, and this coaching staff because if they're not careful, they're going to create a scenario where it's very difficult for them to recruit going forward, um, even if you know, Muschamp is, is retained after this year with a losing record. You, you still have to look at the future of the program and, and, and how the staff is going to be able to recruit and, and what they're going to be able to sell on the recruiting trail. So uh, I think the, the, these next two games are, are not games where South Carolina can afford to leave any bullets in the chamber. They need to treat these games the same way they did Alabama. They, if there's gambles that need to be taken, they need to take them. Um, and, and, and they need to play with a sense of urgency from the, the opening kick to the, to the final whistle because – um, you know, if they can get to three and two before the, the bye week and, and feel good about themselves going into the bye week and then into Athens after the bye week, uh, who knows what might happen down the stretch. But like you said, if they if they go one and one or oh and two in these next two games and 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 they look at who's left on the schedule, uh, this thing has a chance to go south in a hurry. So uh, this is a, a huge football game this week. The spread opened at 10, which is more than I expected it to be, quite honestly. It's gone down a little bit so far, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if it keeps going down some before kickoff on Saturday. But um, this is a big, big football game. And, and then, obviously, Kentucky next week. You've lost five straight to the Wildcats. <laughs> I, I never thought I would see that happen uh, covering South Carolina. 
Um, but that's a tough football team. Uh, I watched them play Florida over the weekend. They're they're really good at the line of scrimmage again. You know they don't have Josh Allen, um, and, and and you know they're they're missing some of their bigger pieces from last year. But it's still a good football team and a dangerous football team. And and let's be honest, Mark Stoops and that coaching staff has Will Muschamp's number. Uh, so um, that's that's going to be another test for this coaching staff and these players. Um, uh, they get a night game in Williams Bryce, and and um, you know I think it, it'll be a good environment for them. But it's going to be up to the coaches and the players to go out there and take advantage of it. Yeah, I was reading up on Mark Stoops today, Tony, and I I started thinking about it. He actually. Uh, he has owned Will Muschamp during his time at Carolina, but he actually was not terrible against Spurrier. I mean, uh, he was the D.C. at Florida State in that Peach Bowl where they beat probably – they beat a Gamecock team that, you know, after Lattimore got knocked out, they were probably better than. But, you know, he certainly had a good defensive game plan in that one. Um, the first year he was at Kentucky, they didn't win a single conference game. I think the Gamecocks got up big and then ended up winning 35-28 something like that, and that was 2013. Uh, and then the, the winning streak started. So th- this guy, you know, I don't know what it is about the Gamecocks and him having their number, but but he does. And you're right, they're, they're, they're again a solid football team. They will beat you if you let them, you know, I, I think. And I did watch that Florida game in Florida. Florida may be the luckiest team in the country through three yeah. games. Kentucky so had far. no business losing that game. <laughs> none, none at all. I mean, it was unbelievable. But, yeah, I'm with you. And, and to your point on – you know, the recruiting aspect of having a bad year. And, and I hear all the time, and, and I'm, I'm on board with this argument, give Muschamp time to build. I'm on board with the, it was a five-year rebuild. I'm on board with all of that. But you have to kind of look at where you're at, too. You're at South Carolina. You've gone to a bowl three straight years. Nobody's really satisfied with that because they want to go back to eleven and two and beating Clemson and being nationally relevant and all that good stuff. But but Tony, you look at this program from two thousand till two thousand eighteen. They've had one really bad record, and that was twenty fifteen when there was a transition. Lou Holtz had two losing seasons. Other than that, you know there have been um, you know during the regular season no losing seasons. I mean, so, so you're talking about a, a program that has winning seasons. Or, or at least 500 seasons, about 85% of the time for 20 years. And and I think if you go backward right now, and, and you weren't a popular hire to begin with, and everybody's going to be out with pitchforks, uh, you know, you go 4-8 you go and eight this year, and, and it's not a situation where there's catastrophic injuries. Because I, I think the quarterback situation, you know, I love Jake Bentley, big fan of his. There's not a lot of drop-off if any, for as of right now. You know, Jake Bentley being gone is not costing you games right now. Maybe that's the case down the road. I don't know, but not right now. Um, you go 4-8, and eight, every major publication, every talking head in the country, and this matters because, you know, that gets into the narrative, what we call the narrative. They're going to have him number one on the hot seat heading into year five. And you may salvage some of this 2020 class. You may you probably have some decommitments, that kind of thing that people are not happy with. But you're not going to be able to do anything for 2021. And with the early signing, that's very important. You know, it's important that you get guys in the boat, you know, regardless if you have a turnaround um, the next year or not. And, and so that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the problem there uh, if you bottom out. And, and there's really no excuse, too. 
in my opinion. But, um, you know, and like I said, I'm all for giving Muschamp time, but, you know, that having a terrible season like that is, is a problem more so than, oh, we just had a bad season, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I, I think there are a lot of things that Will Muschamp has done right since he took the job at South Carolina. I love his work ethic. I love the fact that he's trying to build the program the right, the right way. I love that he's he's cleaned up the culture. He has a you know a, a team full of good citizens um, and uh, good leadership. And and I think you know if he if he left tomorrow, the program is in better shape than the day he found it. I don't think there's any question about that. But ultimately, he's going to be judged by his body of work on the field. And right now his teams are showing the same problems that they've had since he's been there. Problems in the secondary problems, not being able to rush the passer. Um, you know, a lot of their issues are defensive and he's a defensive guru and, and that's his background. And, you know, for them to, to continue to have the same issues in year four that they had in year one is a problem. And it's something that's going to have to be addressed. And, and, you know, whether it's, it's, going to require him to show more flexibility in scheme or recruiting or, or the players that he's playing. I, I don't know what, where the change has to happen necessarily. Um, but there, there has to be some changes going forward. I think, uh, for him to put himself in a position to be the, the head coach at South Carolina long-term. Yeah. I mean, the, the defensive thing's baffling because I mean, you look at that 2016 defense, Tony, athletically, I mean, those players weren't as good as the players they have now. I mean, it's probably not even close. And yet you see the same types of things. So there's some sort of disconnect going there, and I'm not I'm not quite sure what it is. I, I think we've seen the Will Muschamp defense a couple of times, or, or the ones that, that we expected a couple of times. I, I felt the Outback Bowl against Michigan a couple of years ago was, you know, sort of what everybody had in mind. But, um, yeah, it's disheartening right now to kind of see that uh, – uh, on that side of the ball. And South Carolina's a defensive school. Even with the greatest offensive coach or one of them in the history of the game coaching, Gamecocks won a lot of games because of that defense over the years. Um, and so I, I think, you know, South Carolina, you know, has to be good on that side of the ball. I think any SEC team really needs to be. Uh, and it'll be interesting going forward. All right, speaking of going forward, Missouri. Uh, I've watched a little Missouri. I don't know. I don't know if you've watched a lot of them. I, I didn't watch the West Virginia game. I, I caught the end of the Wyoming game um, when I had the heart to turn the TV back on after the North Carolina loss that day. Uh, it was about 10 o'clock at night. And, I, you know, Tony, it, it's kind of the your typical Missouri team. I mean, you don't have Drew Locke. You have Kelly Bryant, you know, back there. I think Locke does some things better than Bryant. Bryant does the same things better than Locke. They have a good running back. They have good skill guys. I don't know if their defensive line of scrimmage is as good as maybe it's been in the past. But, uh, you know, all in all, it's just kind of a typical Mizzou football team th- that I think will be up and down this year. they got a really easy schedule. So, um, I think they feel if they can win this one, you know, they're not going to lose till they play Georgia. But, I, uh, you know, it's a game I could see going a number of different directions if South Carolina plays well, I, I think they'll win the football game. Yeah, I have not seen much of them this year. They've played at the same time as South Carolina. I think you know, in in with the exception of that that opening week. So, 
I, I hope to get to to watch some of them as this week goes on prior to, to finalizing my five keys to victory for the game. Um, but, you know, I, I think I have a pretty good idea of what to expect. And, and, and I think you, you, you know, hit the highlights there. You know, I know who Kelly Bryant is. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. Um, I don't know that he's a world beater. And, and I think he can be forced into some mistakes if South Carolina's defense can play well enough. Um, you know, obviously, regardless of opponent, South Carolina secondary has to play worlds better than it did against Alabama. They have to get those things fixed. Um, whether you're, you're talking about from a tackling standpoint or from a, you know, the angles to take, to make those tackles, some of the coverage breakdowns, those things can't happen, uh, again this week or Missouri's going to make them pay. So, um, you know, that, that's a big part of it. And then offensively, I think South Carolina has to continue doing what they're doing, you know, stay balanced on offense, stay committed to running the football, uh, but also give Ryan Helinski his chances to make plays if they can get the play action game working and, and get Missouri, um, you know, biting on some of those fakes. I think they have a chance to, to hit for some big plays down the field potentially. And, and, um, and, and like I said earlier in, in the podcast, this is a must win. This is a game where South Carolina needs to fire every bullet they have in their gun and, and find a way anyway to win this football game and come back home and, and face Kentucky feeling good about themselves. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, must win. It's a, uh, you know, I, I usually go with there are no, you know, the philosophy, there are no must wins. I, I think this is, if that is true, and I don't know that it's 100% true all the time, that this is as close as you can get. You know, I always say there's no must wins, there's no locks in recruiting. Uh, but, you know, as far as, you know, my feelings about this game, it's as close as it gets. 4 p.m., Kick off on the SEC Network. Our friend Mike Morgan calling it for the SEC Network. We'll be out there in Como. Uh, and one more point about this, Tony. This is a, this is a, a a venue too where I think you know Missouri fans have kind of suffered over the years, like Gamecock fans. I think if you get off to a good start, and the Gamecocks did not last time they went out there, they got behind ten nothing, and then Debo Samuel. And Jam Williams made some plays, and Gamecocks went up 14-10, and immediately the life just went out of the crowd. And I, I think that this is a place where if you get off to a good start and you get up, you know, I, I think that there it's not like some place where there's not where they don't hang their heads and all that good stuff. I, I think you can take the you can make the crowd a non-factor pretty quickly out at Missouri. Yeah, and I, and I think that's something South Carolina needs to do. They can't afford to get off to a, a slow start in this game and and have to play from behind and, and take themselves out of their own game plan. If they can get off to a good start, like you said, quiet the crowd down, uh, feel good about what they're doing on both sides of the ball, uh, stick with their game plan and 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 execute, then I, I think they have a much better chance to win the game. All right, look for Tony's prediction and his five keys to victory article on thebigspur.com coming out later this week. Uh, and we appreciate all you guys listening to the first episode of Inside the Gamecocks. We hope to have many more in the future. So for Tony Morrell, this is J.C. Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks. Have a great week, everyone.